Father, again, we thank you that through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in our receiving him, you have brought us into your family. Lord, we thank you that we are forever secure, forever forgiven. Father, again, we thank you that you have placed us within this local body of believers. We have to learn to get along with each other. And in the process, we are sharpened and we are purified. Pray that you would give us wisdom as to how to relate. And if there is any schism in this body between one believer to another, that it might be taken care of. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit convicts us and guides us and leads us and shows us and grows us through this process of relating to one another. And we ask that you would be glorified through our thoughts, through our actions, especially our actions towards one another. We ask that the rest of this service we would be able to focus on your word that your spirit would indeed convict us of a potential area that needs to change so that we could give and bring the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've been looking at shepherding, and we had an elders retreat, and the deacons also joined us, and we, one of the main issues was shepherding. Uh, this message will be today, and we'll finish it up next week. Um, in fact, next week we're going to talk... This week we're going to look at the shepherds that shepherd a church, and then next week we're going to also look at how should you expect to be shepherded? Because I think sometimes there's misunderstanding on that. Last week we looked at the nature of the sheep. What's the nature of the sheep? And I'd like to um, uh, just read a couple things about sheep. And again, we found out last week that sheep are easily stray, easily go the wrong path. Uh, In his classic book on shepherding, Philip Keller writes this, It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just, quote, take care of themselves, end quote, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care, end quote. Yeah, sheep need a shepherd. In fact, desperately so. Uh, when we are called sheep, it points to the fact that we are helpless without the Lord Jesus. One man wrote this, for example, God has created most animals with an uncanny instinct to find their way home. If a sheep stray in unfamiliar territory, they become completely disoriented and cannot find their way back home as, as in the Lord's poignant uh, parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Sheep need a shepherd to guide them, provide for them, protect them, and sometimes also to rescue them from harm. Sheep spend most of their time eating and drinking, but if they become lost, they are helpless to find adequate food and water. Left to themselves, sheep are indiscriminately indiscriminately eat both healthful uh, food and poisonous plants, or overgraze and ruin their own pasture land. And they need to be led to water that is not impure or stagnant, because they'll drink that just as quick. Not too cold, not too hot. In fact, it, it can't even be moving quickly. That's what the psalmist in Psalm 23 is referring to when he, quote, when he says, quiet waters. They're very easily disturbed, even with a rushing water. They won't get near it. Sheep are much in need of other assistance as well. 
because their wool secretes a large volume of oily lanolin that permeates their fleece, much dirt, grass, and wind-blown debris clings to it. Since they have no ability to clean themselves, they remain soiled until the shepherd shears them. Between shearings, their dirty, sticky accumulation must be cut away from under their tails, or they cannot eliminate waste and become sick and even die. I found that so interesting. They are in total need. Because sheep also are naturally passive and virtually defenseless against predators, and when attacked, their own recourse is to flee in panic. The shepherd must continually be on guard to defend and rescue the sheep from attack. It's not surprising, then, that Jesus likened the disoriented, confused, unclean, spiritually lost crowds, or spiritual crowds, uh, to flocks of sheep without a shepherd. Now, he, in the one, he's referring to Israel, who's gone their own way, but then he also tells us that, that uh, he is our shepherd, and we are in desperate need of him. He knows us, he feeds us, he leads us, he protects us. How do you feel when I'm telling you that you are totally helpless? By the way, do you recognize that? I wonder if we... No, we, as humans, we, no, we are rugged individualists. When it comes on the spiritual plane and walking with our Lord, we are in total dependence on Him. Total. That's what he means by John 15. Without me, what? Do nothing. Oh, I can do some things, Lord. No, nothing. That's, that one little... Uh, phrases always just really hit me. Nothing. I can't do anything without him. Nothing of lasting value, at least. So that's the nature of the sheep. And I, I, I wanted to review with a, a different quote simply to, to remind us that we are sheep, that we are helpless, that we are in desperate need of the shepherd. And just like there are so many physical needs of a physical sheep, we have spiritual needs and physical needs that are only met through the Lord Jesus Christ. The second major part of the outline is uh, the nature of the shepherd. See, you go from the sheep. Well, let's look at the shepherd. Three times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is represented as a shepherd. But in each one of those, the shepherd is preceded by an adjective. Somehow, tell me a little bit more about this shepherd. And we looked at these last week. The first is that he is the good shepherd. And again, intrinsically good in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's very important. He's, he's good. He's intrinsically good. He has the heart of a shepherd. But how, how far will you go, Lord? He gives his life for the sheep. He's sacrificial. He has substituted his own life so that we might live. He went to the cross so that he would bear our sins, not his And through his spirit, we are drawn to him to receive him as our Lord and Savior. Have you ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you would be forgiven for your sins and not have to face the wrath of the Father because you are not forgiven? He's the good shepherd. The emphasis there is that he died for the sheep. He's willing to die for the sheep. But the other adjective is he's the great shepherd in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 12. And it points to something when um, he's called the great shepherd. Uh, verse 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, 
that great shepherd, so it points back to Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, and catch verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do his will. And the idea of being a great shepherd is not just that he saves us, but he's sanctifying us. He has a purpose for us. By the way, one of the greatest ways he sanctifies us is by sticking together. What you witnessed just a few moments ago is part of the sanctification process. Because that is not just for her, that's for us. That's to remind us who we are. And that we are in constant need of God's grace. And how we work together is critical. How we work together. You know, I, I think it's, such, uh, it's, a, it's the genius of, of the concept of the local church. He puts a bunch of sinners who are imperfect to work together. Right? Isn't that amazing? And to really accomplish that task, you know what you're going to have to have? God's grace. You're going to have to look at God and say, you know, Lord, you saved me by grace. Because this other person over here at times frustrates me. But you know what? I can deal with him because you've already saved him as well. You already saved her. By the way, the him, her might be your spouse. You know? It's, God puts us in relationships because it's kind of like the sandpaper. And he keeps knocking off pieces. And what we would really like is a really easy life, comfortable. Like, just get me around people that I, like, you know, I could hang with for the rest of my life. And, you know, that have never bothered me. They never irritate me. They never frustrate me. Well, you know what he's going to do? He's going to put you in, in, in the place where you're going to be around people that aren't like that. And there's a purpose. Because it tells you more about yourself. And you, you run to the Lord. It makes you become more gracious if, let me say this, if you stay in the process. Some people get in that process, they run. You know how they run? Break relationship. And as soon as you've done that, you short shade, uh, you're short, um, short sheeted, no, uh, short change the, the grace of God in your, in your, uh, in your life. All right? God had a process he was going to take you through, and you said, nope, don't want to do that. I'm going a different direction. Now, sometimes the other person jumps ship, don't you be the one. Why? The great shepherd wants to sanctify you. It's not just saves you, sanctifies you. But then there's a third adjective. He's the chief shepherd. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you're already perhaps there, verse 4, it says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, and this is the context we're going to be looking at both today and next week. And because of everything happening today, we're only going to take part of this message. But that word chief, the idea is this. It literally means first. First in place, first in role. It's arch poinman. Arch. Arch. In other words, he's the first one, which implies that there are many after him. He's the chief shepherd. Now, there are a lot of under-shepherds, but he's the chief shepherd. Now, you take those three things. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He, he saves us. He's the the great shepherd. Uh, he doesn't just keep us where we are. He is sanctifying us. He is making him, uh, us more like himself. But now, in part of the process, he, he is the chief shepherd, which implies there's other under-shepherds. Under-shepherds are found within this local body of believers. Under-shepherds are found in many churches. I say many because some churches are unbiblical. But here, we have the chief shepherd, who we do not see, who is Jesus Christ. I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm just one of six under-shepherds. And I, I say that carefully, one of six. I'm not like the chief under-shepherd. I'm just one of six under-shepherds. Because we know there are under-shepherds because there is the chief shepherd. 
And he's faithful. And, and, and he sanctifies us and he leads us. And I'm using the word us, which includes myself. He leads us, he feeds us, he protects us, he knows us. And much of that happens through his under-shepherds. So I am, I am protected and I am fed and I am led, not because of me, but because of the under-shepherds. And by the way, who are the under-shepherds? Let's see if we... I was going to have their picture. Maybe next week I'll have their picture up here. Well, <coughs> one of the under-shepherds is myself. Who's another one? Help me out here. Billy Baker. Another one? Uh, I know. This, it's like trying to read a, a, a passage of Scripture. We all have different versions. Andy Norris. Steve. Rec. Uh, Mike. Stuart and Lee Ryan. Okay, under shepherds. We're all under shepherds. No one's the main shepherd. We're all. By the way, that's not easy all the time. I, I'm reading a book on leadership, and they say one of the one of the uh, hardest positions to have in these bigger churches. You know, big big church is this uh, the uh, how do they call that executive pastor. The executive. And what that means is this. A lot of times a big church has the senior pastor who's the preaching pastor, and then they have an executive pastor, which basically gets everything done, you know, for the senior pastor that he can't get to. The problem is, is nobody knows exactly who's got the authority and responsibility, and usually the, that executive leaves after a few years because it just drives them crazy. I don't know what I'm responsible for, and it seems like I'm responsible for everything. I don't have the authority to accomplish it. Now, why do I say that? Because what you're saying there is a plurality, and when you put men in a plurality, like I just mentioned, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. I was talking to one of the elders yesterday after our meeting, and the comment was something like this, like, uh, you know, decision-making takes a lot longer when there's a plural, you know, plurality of elders. But it's good to work through the process. But it takes a lot longer. It's a little bit harder. So, we have the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and the chief shepherd. Uh, oh, he, he's all sufficient, isn't he? When it comes to the Lord, don't you just wish he was right here in physical form and he told us what to do and let it go in this direction, guys? But he leaves fallible, sinful, not perfect, but hopefully mature uh, believers who are men in charge as under-shepherds and knowing that we are accountable to him. But he's the perfect shepherd. He's the one. And, and when Psalms 23, when it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Remember last week we were talking about this. The Lord is my shepherd. My. Very, very important. I was, I've been meditating on that this last week. Mine. He is my shepherd. I trust that you remember that. He's my shepherd. And as, as, as my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, that's an interesting little phrase. It's not that we will have everything we want, but not want for anything we need. Do you see the difference? Not doesn't mean that we're going to get everything we want. Thankfully, by the way, we don't. But everything we need, he's going to give us. I have everything I need. In fact, it's interesting with Psalms 23. I, I just want to veer for a moment this is how great our shepherd is because Psalms 23, the rest of it, tells us how he is our shepherd. Example, I will not lack peace. Why? For he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I will not lack for provisions, for he leads me beside the still waters. I will not lack for, uh, for hope uh, of encouragement and, and encouragement. By the way, do you need hope and encouragement? 
It says he restores my soul. He literally revives my soul. I will not lack for guidance, for he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I will not lack for deliverance in tough times. Are you in tough times? For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will not lack for companionship, for you are with me. I will not lack for protection, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and you prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. I will not lack for help and healing in all of the events of my life, for you anoint my head with oil. I will not lack for an abundant life, for my what? Cup runs over, overflows. I'll not never lack anything, for goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will not lack for an eternal heavenly home, for I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What? Aren't you looking forward to that day? You know, we are, we are in a, an earth that is broken and we have hurts and struggles and discouragements. And, and, but we've got to remember, he is the chief shepherd. And I go back to Psalms 23. I'm reading a book. In fact, this was a quote from Psalms 23. And, and how, you know, Psalms 23, it's, he is everything we need. If only we had the Lord Jesus Christ right here. <clears throat> he is, I'm talking in physical form, but he leaves under shepherds to take care of his business. Alan Emery, he was a very successful industrialist a number of years ago. In fact, he was so, um, he was such a solid Christian believer, he was such a wise man, that uh, he was on many college boards. He helped Billy Graham uh, uh, Association tremendously, uh, many charitable organizations. Everybody wanted this uh, man to be associated with them. Again, his name is Alan Emery. But anyways, he wrote a book, and it's, the book's name is a, a Turtle on a Fence Post. You ever see a turtle on a fence post? By the way, what's the con what, what does that mean when you say a turtle on the fence post? It means that whatever you have, it's not because of you. Because that turtle didn't get there on its own. But he told this story. Alan began his career working with his father in the wool business and once spent an evening with a shepherd out on the Texas prairie. The shepherd had dogs to help him herd and protect the sheep, but the only person that was actually in charge that was out there on the prairie was this one individual shepherd that this man, Alan Emery, was with. It was in the springtime of the year, and the snows had only recently melted. The grass was turning green. There was about 2,000 sheep in a large flock, and the shepherd built a large bonfire. So you've got to kind of picture the scene. They're out there by themselves. There's only two guys, him and this shepherd, a few dogs around. In fact, he said it was like coming out of a picture book. One shepherd, three sheep dogs, one bonfire, and 2,000 sheep. As the night wore on, the sheep settled down and all was quiet until suddenly a long, loud wail of coyotes pierced the air. The dogs growled and peered into the darkness. The sheep, which had been sleeping, lumbered to their feet, alarmed, bleating pitifully. The shepherd tossed more logs onto the fire and the flames shot up. <coughs> In the glow, Alan looked out and saw thousands of little lights. He realized those were the reflections of the fire in the eyes of the sheep. Those sheep had instinctively looked towards the shepherd. In the midst of danger, Alan observed, quote, the sheep were not looking out into the darkness, 
but were keeping their eyes set in the direction of their safety, looking towards the shepherd. He said, I couldn't help but think of Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Isn't that a great... When we are in trouble, sometimes we look out into the darkness. We need to look to our great shepherd. He's the one that protects us. So we have the nature of the sheep. We have the nature of the shepherd. Now we go to the responsibility of the earthly shepherds. The earthly shepherds. This is where it gets hard because, again, if the Lord was here in physical form, it'd be easy. Yes, I go to that church and the Lord is the... Well, the Lord is the Lord of this church. But he works through imperfect people. That's the problem. By the way, expectations are high. I came across a an illustration of this, and I, I've seen a number of versions of this, so I've kind of re kind of accumulate them together to but it's the perfect pastor. What does the perfect pastor look like? And this was actually done through a computerized survey. You know, you fill out a survey, this is what I think the perfect pastor is. So this is the accumulation of this. The perfect pastor preaches exactly fifteen minutes. Well wow. <laughs> he condemns sin but never upsets anyone. He works from 8 till midnight and is, and is the church janitor. <clears throat> he makes about $300 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and also gives about $250 a week to the poor. <laughs> he's, 28, he's 28 years of age and has been preaching for 30 years. <laughs> he has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends most of his time with the senior citizens. The perfect pastor is handsome, smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 home visits daily on church families, shut-ins, and, and the hospitalized, spends all his time, time evangelizing, and is always in his office when needed. The perfect pastor is always in the church down the road. Well, that's really where he's at. So you're not going to find him once you get to know the guy that you're looking to to pastor. By the way, when I say pastor, I'm talking not just about myself, but about us, the other five uh, elders as well. And you'll see that in a moment. But you know what? There are a lot of expectations out there for pastors. Probably no wonder why a lot of guys leave the church after six, seven years. Because after a while, you realize you're not going to meet this group's expectations. I'm moving on. By the way, with the pastors themselves, there's a lot of disappointment. Not only with the congregation, but by the pastor himself. Looking out and saying, you know what? They didn't meet my expectation as well. See, it's not easy working together. It's not working e easy to get together as far as a church <laughs> and as far as the relationships. And it seems like it's easy to let each other down, isn't it? Isn't it easy to let each other down? See, when you first married, if you're married... I'm sure that you didn't think that all the problems that you're going to experience in your marriage were going to be there, right? You said, I do, thinking this, is, this one's perfect. Never going to have an issue. But Lord leads you through things. I mean, you knew there was going to be something, but oh, wow. Same way with men. Anytime you're around with people, relationships. Wow, you know. Oh, I didn't realize that. Expectations can be dashed. Disappointments are easy. Again, there's no perfect pastor, but there is the perfect shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the word pastor is from shepherd. It's the word poinman, 
like you see in Ephesians 4, it appears 18 times in Scripture. 17 of those times, it's translated shepherd. Only one time is it a, a translated pastor. That's Ephesians 4.11. So, I mean, when, when I say I'm a pastor, and Lee's a pastor, and Steve's a pastor, and Mike's a pastor, and Andy's a pastor, and who did I just miss? Billy, a pastor. <laughs> Should never start naming people. Because we're talking we're shepherds because the word pastor means shepherd. Now again, not all shepherds are good. If you go to the Old Testament, don't turn there, but this is what God said to the shepherds in the Old Testament. And this is those who sought to lead Israel. Woe to you, shepherds. Woe, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and you have not attended them. And he goes, and next week we're going to look at the other side of that. But the reality is this. Not everyone that calls himself a shepherd, a pastor, is a good one. There's a chance that we are not keeping our eyes on the, on the chief shepherd, and, and we could maybe be doing our own little work, doing our own thing. But again, shepherding is hard. Shepherding is hard. It's, it's not easy. I, again, I, as I said, I was reading Psalms 23. And if you look at the movement of Psalms 23, what he's really, it's not just that he's talking about a shepherd and a sheep. It's actually, you can see the movement of the sheep. He's uh, uh, green pastures, there's uh, still waters, but now oh, he's going through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait, what are you talking about? And see, in Israel, the shepherds during the summer excuse me, during the winter, would go down in the Negev desert. It was warm down there. As summer approached, see, winter was down there. As summer approached, you would bring your sheep from the, the desert up into the higher lands, which would be near Samaria. So they would move their sheep, thousands and thousands of sheep, would be going from the desert area, because that's, that's warm in the winter, but that would be a killer in the summer. And then you bring them into the higher lands where the... Um, where the better pastures were. In other words, there was a lot of skill to shepherding. Sometimes we think of them as, ah, you know, they're just a bunch of sheep, they're dumb sheep. And there was a lot of skill when it came to a shepherd. When God calls us to shepherd, that means that you are highly skilled. Let me give you some things. On a physical level, for a shepherd, they had to have foresight, the ability to anticipate the weather patterns and cycles of the season. They had to have the ability to have advanced planning, knowing the routes and the destinations and when to access them. They had to negotiate skills and diplomacy. <coughs> negotiation, negoti excuse me, negotiating skills and diplomacy. With uh, what? Other landowners, fellow shepherds to acquire exclusive rights to pasture lands. In other words, you had to be a negotiator. You had to have geographical skills, a sense of direction, knowing of the terrain, awareness of the dangers in, in each of the areas. You had to have business savvy, buying and selling of livestock, meat, wool, milk, cheese, grazing grounds. You had to have stamina to withstand the strains of responsibility, loneliness of solitude, the dangers of the wilderness. I mean, it goes on and on. You had to have quality control. It was hard work. You had to have motivation. And above all, you had to have humiliation. Why? Why humiliation? Because they were considered riffraff. They, people didn't like shepherds. Because, man, you're going to you know, bring this herd through and you're going to be picking at my grass and when it's all said and done, there's gonna be, all that's left is plops. <laughs> now think about that. I'm just telling you, it's a dirty business. 
See, they weren't, it, wasn't on the, it was not like a king or a governor or you know, anything like that. It was dirty business. When God calls the sheep and we are to shepherd, and it's, a, it's hard. It's, it's not easy. And on, on this side of heaven, uh, it may not be thanks. By the way, I need to hear this. I think we all need to hear these truths. Sheep are helpless. They need a shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the one that is perfect. But he leaves under shepherds here to help guide the flock. Some of us run from those leaders. And I mean, as a pastor, I can run from that leadership. Sometimes we run from it. But we need to say, Lord, this is your plan. Bring us into a church. Walk with the shepherds. And Lord, help, us, help me to, to gain as much as I can from the shepherds that are over me. Because I'm just one of six, and they're over me. I mean, I'm with them. I'm not over them. Now, you've been in First Peter, and I see we're almost out of time. Let me just give you a couple thoughts on biblical shepherds. Uh, let me give you some uh, aspects. Look at verse 1. It says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And we'll stop right there. First of all, you see some issues or some aspects in verse 1. First of all, notice it says elders. Because whenever it's referred to as elders, unless he's talking to a specific elder, which would be singular, it's always plural. By the way, that makes total sense to me that it would always be, if God leaves a leader in the church, it would be plural, leaders. Wouldn't that make sense? Because aren't we just helpless sheep ourselves? I mean, the sheep are the shepherds. I'm a sheep. I need help. And yet, I'm one of the shepherds. We work together. So one of the aspects of, of uh, the issues of uh, shepherding is that in a church, it's plural. By the way, the words... Now, you might call us elders. That's verse 1. You might call us shepherds. That's verse 2. You might even call us overseers or bishops. You don't call us bishops, but that's actually found in the end or the middle, excuse me, of verse 2. In other words, there's three words used to identify a leader in the church. You can call them elders. You can call them shepherds and or pastors, or you can call us overseers. The title's not important. People come to our church and they say, well, pastor, what do you want to be called? You can call me John. That's what my mother calls me. <laughs> Actually, she calls me Johnny. See, I, I, I'm okay if you call me pastor. I mean, some feel more comfortable, but it's not a head game with me because I know he's the chief shepherd, right? I, I wouldn't want disrespect. I mean, I wouldn't want you to be disrespectful to Lee, Right? Or Billy, or I mean, in other words, we do have responsibility before the Lord, so you can call us by our first name. But the point is this elder points to character. When the word bishop or overseer really points to guardian, overseer. When you when you use the word pastor or shepherd, it really points to feeding. See, there's a and I know, well, shepherds, you know, guard the flock. Yeah, but, but I'm saying in New Testament scripture, a lot of times you see it really pointing towards the idea of feeding and, and helping to grow, you know. So the point is, is this, you know, whether you refer to us as elders or overseers or shepherds or just say, John, <laughs> the leaders of the church, those three, there's not, they all point to the same guy. He's the, there's a plurality of godly leaders 
in Alfred Almond Bible Church. And because there's a plurality, it, it does some things. It provides uh, the potential for greater ministry care. I mean, I couldn't watch over 200 people, but now we have six, and then some of the deacons are helping, and yeah, we can help shepherd this group of people called the Alfred Almond Bible Church. Also preserves against imbalance. Imbalance. Can you imagine if I was making all the decisions? <laughs> this would look a little different. Thankfully, we, I am not, and thankfully it does look like it should. Uh, I've often told my wife, if anything happens to you, uh, Sola, you know, I'm going to sit the kids down and we're going to have to go in a different direction if I'm the only one raising, you know. And then the kids get all nervous. <laughs> well, the reality is it's her and I, and, you know, the, the, uh, like I've said many times, my wife has put color in my life and probably 10 years to my life as well because she's, John, slow down, think it through. It's not that bad. In fact, it's really good. In fact, John, you have a really good situation. What's your problem? Get over it. <laughs> See, plurality does that. By the way, what else it does is it brings on continuity. I remember being at an ordination one time, and, and uh, the, the comment was basically made this, that in our church there will never be a discontinuity. In other words, if I leave, drop dead tomorrow, or something happens, you've still got five shepherds here. Hopefully you don't hope for that, but the point. <laughs> All right, let's just, a couple other things here would be done. You know, the New American says, therefore I exhort. That's how verse 1 starts in the New American. Therefore I exhort. Doesn't appear quite like that in New King James, but the idea, when you use the word therefore, is go back. Well, just go back one verse. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. The reason I'm saying this is this. One of the aspects of shepherding is this. Expect hardship. Expect hardship. See, verse 19 is talking about hardship. Let those who suffer according to the will of God. Now think about that. Suffer according to the will of God. There is suffering out there that is according to the will of God. And, and now Peter is, is uh, talking to the shepherds and saying, listen, expect suffering. Not only expect suffering in your life, but expect it in your sheep's life and be, be, uh, be ready to, uh, to guide them, counsel them, encourage them, put them in the right direction. Therefore, I exhort. The word exhort means to come alongside. It's used in a noun form of, a, uh, of how we refer to the paracleto, the, uh, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the helper. Come alongside elders, come alongside leaders of the church, and help your people as they go through difficulty. Because suffering is part of the will of God for us as believers. That, that's, a hard, that's a hard concept, but it is true. God allows suffering in your life, and he wants you to walk through it. And then finally, Peter says, look at this, as a fellow elder, um, it's found in, where, I'm just, help me out, where's the fellow, oh, the first part of verse one, a fellow elder, these are some motivations, I mean, Peter could have pulled rank, the apostle, no, I want you to shepherd as I am a fellow elder, now, do you see how intimate that is? I mean, I am a fellow. I'm identifying with you. Peter identifies with the leadership. I'm not an apostle. Dude. I am a fellow elder. And notice what else he says. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. In other words, the word witness uh, is, is the word martos. Martyr. We get martyr. There again, going back to the hardship issue. Peter says, you know, I know there's going to be suffering. 
I know there's going to be difficulties. I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. I'm participating in it. They say of Peter that he was hung upside down on a cross, but hung upside down and left there to die. It is said that his wife came to him, Peter, don't give up. Go to the end. Honor Christ. And then finally, look at this though. He gives the last motivation. And also as a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And the verse 1. Keep, keep up the good work. Why? Because, because there's glory to be revealed. In fact, in verse 4, he talks about the reward, the crown of glory. I, uh, I'll give you this story. At, yesterday, I, walked, I came home, and by the way, the elder meeting went great. But for some reason, you know, sometimes when you really have a... Well, but there was things said. I mean, sometimes I get intense. Can you believe that? Um, and I just felt like, you know, I, it wasn't perfect, you know. I don't think the elders would have said that, but the point was this. I was a little discouraged. Just because of me. And my wife, thankfully, came along. You know, John, think about it. But you know what really encouraged me? When I went to the scripture. Because I had to, you know, I had to preach today. So, you know, I love going to the Word of God because it like slaps him upside the head. And then, you know what? Let's think about this straight, John. And you know what? That's what I thought about. You know, here's Peter, fellow elder. Here's Peter. You know, he, he understood the suffering. Here's Peter, the glory to be revealed. Oh, it only took a little bit of time, and I was like, yeah. Man, Lord, thank you so much that you called me into ministry. This is a great bunch of people. We're moving down the path. But, you know, sometimes you've got to go off the road a little bit. And you know what? It's the word of God that brings you back in, doesn't it? It brings you back in. I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have told you that, but... If you think that I'm always on here, no, sometimes I get over here, but you know what? The Word of God brings you right back. And you know what? This is the bottom line when it comes to walking with God. It's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. And he gives us over and over again, hey, listen, there's illustration of suffering, but the glory to be revealed, the crown of glory that's waiting for us, finish the race well. Whether you're an elder, whether you're... You're the flock of God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Finish well. Because he's coming back as the chief shepherd. And he is going to reward his own, isn't he? And we do not want to look at him and say, you know what? I took the easy path on this earth and lost most of my reward in heaven because I took the easy path. No, you go through that fire and you go through that suffering knowing that I'm not sufficient for you. He's not sufficient for you, but he is. He is sufficient. He will give you the strength. The Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. Let's stand as we worship him. I encourage you to reach out to Cat Tree, give an encouraging word. I also encourage you that if you are not reconciled to one of your brothers, one of your sisters, that you make that the top priority of your life. Because remember what the king said to that one unworthy servant that wasn't willing to forgive just a small debt to his, his brother. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And that, you know what that references us as far as spiritually? We will be under major conviction. And our relationship and fellowship with God will be broken until we are ready to reconcile with our brother or our sister. So what Jesus ends by saying, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. You may know your brother has something against you. Go to him. 
You, you may know the thing that you have against your brother. Go to him. However it is, you go. Okay, that's the bottom line. Whether you're the offender or the offended, doesn't matter. You go. You be the proactive one. Because the great shepherd wants his sheep, his family, to be reconciled. He wants us to have all of our relationships mended. He wants unity in this body. Unity even outside this body, but especially in this body. Make it your top priority to say, be able to say this. There's no one that I have ought against and no one that has ought against me that I haven't at least tried to reconcile with. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for bringing us into your family through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that we are your children. We thank you that your spirit convicts and guides us, shows us. And at this time, if your spirit is, is telling one of us or many of us to to go forward and do something as far as reconciliation. May we be obedient. Father, again, thank you that you do not relent, that you continue to pursue us even when we go off the path. Father, again, thank you that as we confess our sins, you are so faithful and just to forgive. We thank you for that. and We just ask for your guidance, for your wisdom and your strength to accomplish your will now. In Christ's name, amen.